I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome along to the Wise Men Say podcast. I'm your host for the evening, Mickey Loft, to reflect a little bit more on the Oxford game last Saturday and to look ahead to Ipswich Town away on Saturday. I'm joined this evening by Matthew Keelan and Craig Clark in Fausto. Fellas, how are you doing? Um, I'm great. I'm extremely happy to be in my natural habitat of Fausto coffee. Is it Max or Fausto you're more excited about? Well, Max isn't here, so Fausto. Craig, how are you doing? I'm all right, thanks. Yeah. Yep. Craig's eating scone. <laughs> yeah, I've gone for I've gone for chocolate cake. What did you have, Matthew? I had a a ginger and turmeric cake. On brand. Oh, very on brand. Very on brand. Anyway, we'll um, get into some football chat slash depression session. So then, um, Matthew, is your fume calm down any from Saturday, or are you still raging? Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm still not happy. Um, I think I've become more annoyed, to be honest, as the week's gone on. Um, I was just so disappointed. <laughs> it's not going to go down very well this again, but because I felt it was so like important to get a win. I don't want to go over the game again too much, but I just felt it was so important to start with a, a good performance and positivity to bring everybody back round to like feel good factor again and get something going. But it just didn't happen. It was so it just fizzled out on Saturday. And I think like it's set set us up for a pretty rubbish week all around, to be honest. Craig, um, I don't know what you would even take away from the game on Saturday that was anything other than negative. I suppose the you could say coming back to draw the game was better than losing, but it's another one-one draw. And then the fact we've relied on a penalty because we've created next to nothing. Is sort of indict. It's indicative of the way they played in pre-season. The little that I saw pre-season, and sometimes you can read too much into pre-season. But I, I think there have been other seasons that have paralleled that kind of pre-season where we've looked pretty limp and lifeless, and not looked like creating chances. And that doesn't just go away. The, the game's faster, but we aren't any faster. And I think that was a huge problem. And we've identified a lack of pace. I think. And, that, and it was really evident on the weekend. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I mean, um, David Priest, who's obviously a massive Lads fan, he's coaching, is it in Sweden at the moment, I believe? Yeah, so he's coaching Sweden at the moment. He wrote an article in the Sunderland Echo today, and his argument was that it's the first game of the season and perhaps we need a little bit more perspective and that we actually controlled the game for large spells and there was even problems with the system, but we got a lot of balls into the box and... 
we were kind of like signs of encouragement going forward. Now, so do you agree with our sentiment or not, lads? Uh, <laughs> I've got a mouthful of scone, but I'm desperate to say, going forward, there were absolutely zero positives. We were far too slow and laboured. I think you wanted to talk about this at some point anyway, Mickey, so we might as well just dive in and talk about Will Grigg. I think there's a couple of things with him. Is the club too big for him? Or is it just we're not playing with strength? So I think it's a little bit of both. When you look at where he's had success, he's never played at a club this size. When you look at pictures of the squad, he's always a part. He's always kind of on his own. He doesn't look like he's part of it. I mean, he was living in the Hilton months into his Sunderland career. I don't know if he still is. And you just think, I really want him to succeed because he's clearly got ability. But it isn't working for him at all at the minute. And that is part of the reason why on Saturday we didn't look good going forward because we're not playing to his strengths. It's, it's, really, it's really concerning because it's, it's quite alarming how much it isn't working for him. Like, nothing is working for him at all. And I, just touching back as well on, on, on the article there, that, yeah, we controlled large parts of the game possession-wise maybe, but no disrespect, but we're playing Oxford United and they're very much tipped to be relegation candidates as, as we touched on Saturday. And controlling large parts of the game at home against teams like that isn't enough we, we need to sort of if we're, we're going to do anything in this league this season which is like imperative that we do we need to we need to blow these teams away and that's not being arrogant and being where Sunderland we should be beating everybody 6-0 at home we need to start these games we need to play these games with a lot more intensity and a lot more drive to what we have done did you um, look at the team that we played we started against Oxford last season when we drew 1-1 now there was a mitigating factor there we got a red card actually when you look at it they had more possession and chances in that game which you'd expect they had an extra man for like a large majority of the game but that was indicative of the like fighting spirit we showed at the beginning of last season we would continued an unbeaten run we had 10 men and we we showed like a real like never never say a die sort of like attitude to use a, a sort of well-worn cliche you look at some of the players that were in that team that aren't here now, people like Lee Catamore, people like Josh Madger, and I'm not, we don't know enough about some of the new signings who've come in, but there are players we do know about who may have a, a more prominent role this season as a result of some of the departures. And I just wonder, you know, people seem to think we look stronger this season, and I would question that. I don't know what, what you think. Certainly on Saturday we didn't look any stronger. I agree, and I think the main issue I would take with what David Price is trying to say, I think had we had a relatively strong finish at the end of last season and ultimately we became third and it wasn't quite good enough, I could see his point because it is the first game of the season. But I saw a stat earlier that we've actually only won two league games out of 11. And I'm not saying this is going to happen for by any stretch of the imagination, but if you translate that form over a season, we would have finished 23rd last season. So this isn't a problem which is new. This has been a problem which has been rumbling in the background since around February, early March time. Well, basically since the Checker Trade Trophy final. You can blame the Checker Trade Trophy, you can not blame it. But since then, our form has dipped dramatically. So I think the main issue I would have with Saturday's performance is that this has been happening for so long, but there's no real signs of improvement or signs that we're going to turn it around anytime soon. That comes back to the uh, pre-season point I was making. So I refer you back to, I think it was Steve Bruce who signed a load of players in the summer, went to Hibs and drew 0-0 in the rain. And I remember going to that game, 
we were awful we were slow ponderous they looked like the, the issues we'd had at the back end of the previous season despite the changes in personnel again talk about squads being weakened we lost some good players and replaced them with multiple players who were less good quality um, again this season it's more one in one out that, but are the one ins better than the one outs remains to be seen but the, the point I would make with that is overall that pre-season was a hangover from the season before and it continued and yes it's only one game but as you've pointed out Mickey it isn't really and it looks like something that's continued through the summer to me yeah I didn't see like like yourself I didn't see a great deal of pre-season but it did just seem to follow the pattern of that it's it's quite concerning that that's happened all through pre-season and then it's continued into the season pre-season is you can accept that it's fine but learn from things that have gone on in pre-season learn from things that haven't worked seems to be just repeating the same thing over and over again and hoping that it's going to click and that to me on Saturday that system and that shape and the personnel it, it isn't going to click for me that agreed I mean to be fair, I think we're being slightly hypocritical here because we're saying the same things over and over again, so we'll uh, move on from that a little bit. Um, so <laughs> since then, we, <laughs> we did... Um we were linked really strongly with Martin Olsen, Olsen rather, over the last 24 hours, but that doesn't look as though it's going to happen. So, happily though, it looks like John McLaughlin is staying, um, should there be no interest from abroad between now and the end of the transfer window because the Premier League and Championship window is now closed. So, um, how happy are we that we're keeping the hold of John McLaughlin seemingly and um, what do you think about the contract situation? Well, I think... Um in terms of just to take away the fact that he's like how, how good he was last season I think he's your number one goalkeeper so for, for a statement if, if you were to sell your goalkeeper like your number one goalkeeper who was player well arguably player of the season I said on McGeady actually got player of the season it's just a statement of well it, not a statement to keep him as such but had we sold him it would have been a right what are we actually doing here can I just uh, interject and say the Scottish window stays open until uh, the beginning of September? So I wouldn't have thought there'll be clubs awash with cash who will be looking at him. I don't think Celtic and Rangers would be, for instance. How, well, well, wages-wise, unlike others who have been reported to be priced out of moves to Scotland, maybe McLaughlin, maybe it isn't unfeasible if he's not happy about the contract situation. Yeah, the contract... The Conrad, what was his quote? You can't, you can't sign something that, that hasn't been offered. Is it? The statement was, you can't sign something that isn't there. So, negotiations have evidently gone quiet. He's got one year left in his contract. I don't know, like you mentioned, this, the Scottish window staying up. Are we tempted now after them? Do, does, does his comments make the club more, more likely to, to look to move? I, I don't know. I'd, well... I think it's worth talking about George Honeyman at this point and I don't think we've really spoken much about him on the podcast and his move away from the club. He made a similar comment in his interview on the Hull City YouTube channel or they've, you know, how they've interviewed the new players and stuff and he'd said something like, I'm in the last year of my contract. Firstly, he looked shell-shocked and like he didn't really want to be in Hull. Um, <laughs> so, but he... Um, he also said something like, I was in the last year of my contract and there wasn't anything happening. He was quite vague about it. But when you marry that up with some of the stuff Jack Ross had said, 
Now, we are in a division where players do sign on one or two year contracts, and that is the norm. I mean, we didn't spend any money on McLaughlin for that very reason. So I'm not in too much of a panic about the situation because I think it isn't necessarily too difficult to find goalkeepers. I don't want them to go. And I know last season, sorry, the season before last would suggest it isn't that easy to find goalkeepers. But that was it. In our, since I've supported the club, I don't think we've ever had a goalkeeping situation like that. We've always had two pretty good keepers for whatever level we've been at. To the point where we had someone like Edwin Zitterbeyer who couldn't get in the team and then went and played like European... I think he won a UEFA Cup with Feyenoord or something. So, like, we've always had decent keepers. So, obviously, you don't want McLaughlin to go, and that's not what I'm saying, but maybe it's part of a, a wider point. If they're willing to sell Honeyman, he's in the last year of his contract in a similar situation to McLaughlin. If the right offer came in, would, would they be tempted? I'd suggest not, because obviously... I, I just think it would be a catastrophe in terms of the statement that we're sending out if we sold a player who... Because Honeyman, he... I quite liked him personally but there was a lot of kind of detractors of him and people that didn't rate him and he wasn't as integral part of the team whereas John McLaughlin if we sold him it would be absolute suicide and then of course um, Lee Birch he would become the number one goalkeeper and I think he would be on a hide at nothing from the start because the fans wouldn't necessarily turn against him if he makes a couple of mistakes early on but it could be a long way back for him so as I say I just really hope that it is good news and McLaughlin is definitely staying as I say my good feeling is that he will still be at the club come the end of the window just to come back on that Honeyman point um, Tom Huntley I think had replied to somebody else who'd responded to the twi- our Twitter account about the Honeyman thing um, and basically when Honeyman played we won a lot more games last season he was pretty integral whether you like him or not when he played we won something like well, win rate was something like 50% without him it was in the 30s his win it was more marginal but he's, the win rate with him in the team versus the win rate with McGeady in the team was actually higher Bearing in mind, he was also the club captain. He was Ross's captain. I mean, I'm not going to read into whether he was sold behind his back or not. I mean, the owners come out and said he wasn't, so we've just got to take that at face value. The more the point to me is, I think he's a much better player than people give him credit for, and I don't think we've necessarily brought anyone in better than him in midfield. Certainly no one who's proven to a level where they're getting championship clubs interested anyway, you know what I mean? So I think he'll be a big miss this season. No, I completely agree with that. I mean, as I say, I do rate Honeyman. Um, as I say, I'm just saying that there's a, quite a lot of people who had quite extreme opinions on him either way. When I think the reality was more that he was an integral part, integral part of the team, sorry, and he kind of played like he was six or seven out of ten every week and he gave you that consistency. Um, so just moving on from that a little bit and it touches on what we've been saying, Jack Ross referred to Dane in his interview as the parameters that we're currently working under at the club. And I don't know whether maybe... I'm not going to go into too much detail, like, is he alluding to Honeyman's sale? I don't think he is or anything like that. But what do you make about those comments in general? Because my kind of take on that would be that in League One, you do work under parameters and we're no different, despite the size of a club. So I just think it's a little bit odd that he kind of, at the moment, keeps on referring to restrictions and parameters and things like that. Yeah, you're in a, you're in a division where... You, like as you say no, no club's going to go out and spend ridiculous amounts of money because you, you can't do it. It, it especially clubs that are down here that have been down here for a number of years you can't do well look what's happened to a couple that maybe have done or have spent beyond the means in, in the past few years in this division one of them hasn't played a game yet so he does keep he does keep bringing it up and it is becoming a little bit tiresome of just we're in this division deal with it we have a squad on par or certainly better than 
the majority of squads in this division. We have spent money previously. We've spent money on Will Grigg, Charlie Wyke. I know it was last season, but we've spent money on Dobbs. I think it's only Dobson being a fee this, this summer. Um, but I, I think just... It is. I am becoming a little. It's starting to grate on me a little bit because it's starting to be the same thing in every press com- in every interview, in every press conference, and it's sort of we get it. There are we we, we get it. We, we understand when when you came in, but it was so there was a lot of upheaval. There's been more upheaval this summer. We're evidently behind in planning because of takeover, no takeover issues. We we didn't act in the transfer market until late. We're nowhere near. The squad's nowhere near ready, but just deal with it. <laughs> well, he's managed, what, Alloa Athletic and St Mirren, yeah. but were there not parameters in place in those two clubs? Also, Lee Boyer had extremely difficult parameters to work within last season and got Charlton Athletic promoted. I don't think anyone really tipped them to necessarily even trouble the playoffs last season because of the dire situation they're in as a club. So... I don't know. I don't know what exactly what he means by parameters. Does he mean like he's the one in one out policy? Yeah, but that was what he was alluding to. Yeah. So well, I thought he wasn't that keen on having a huge squad. I don't know if that's true or not. I can't remember where I heard that, but we've got a quite a bloated squad, certainly in midfield. We do have weaknesses in some areas, like fullback. We don't have anywhere near enough fullbacks. We've got two. That's not enough, unless you consider Flanagan as a, a fullback, which apparently he is, but he, he doesn't use him there. And in fact, one of the fullbacks he signed, he's using as a th- sort of third centre-back anyway. So it's like, which which of these parameters are you putting on yourself, Jack? You know what I mean? The, the, the one-in-one-out thing, like a big squad, he had a, he had a big squad last season and didn't use it properly. Like we didn't make the most of the big squad. We didn't rotate the team enough. So... You, how like how, how does he want a big squad then? Does does he want more play? Does he want so many options in midfield? How many more options in midfield, particularly, do, do we need? Um, so what came out the press conference as well as um, his comments there about certain parameters being placed on the team? He also revealed that um, Duncan Watmore sustained an injury again. So that kind of leads, begs the question: What do we do with Duncan Watmore going forward? Because it's getting to the stage now where when he does play, he's not contributing a lot on the field, and I do understand that he does need game time in order to reach his potential again. But it looks as though he's never going to get that game time given the injuries he keeps on getting. So what would you suggest that we do with Watmore going forward? His contract will run out and he'll leave and he'll probably play six games this season because he'll either be injured or not good enough. Look, he looks like the guy he was three years ago and the guy he was three years ago looked like in three years he might develop into something but he's like 25 now and he's injured again on the back of injury after injury after injury. I'd love him to succeed. I think he had talent but in fact he, he might not even look as good as he did three years ago he, his ball control is appalling I, I think what my point was there really that so even if he does come back to fitness is, do you even try and give him six games this season or when he does get back for, recovers from this latest injury do you just kind of almost stick a fork in him and say sorry Duncan like, we can't give you this game time because you're taking the place of somebody else in the squad and then you're just breaking down again every single time I think if he was if he was at a level where he was going to change games, turn games on his head, on the head. Then you would be 
sort of inclined to say, right, well, we'll give you a game because you are a game changer and you can win games at this level. And those six games, like if it was McGeady, you could those six games he might play could get us promoted. But I think with with Watmore in terms of what he has shown, yeah, I know he's obviously like we said come back from injuries. What he has shown in this in this division in the in the last season, bar maybe he's the Wickham the Wickham game aside away last season. I, I personally wouldn't bother, and that sounds really harsh. But I, I think it's time. I'm saying it's time to write him off. But I just he can't be coming into the team and breaking down every six weeks. It's just not feasible. So it'll de- we're not going to get rid of him because no one's going to take him, and I don't mean that in a horrible, disrespectful way. It's just a simple fact. So he is going to be around the squad one way or another. <laughs> like Shrewsbury signed Donald Love. So yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that to be honest but like you've I mean if he's available yeah, you, you might get a chance because he is quicker and we've talked about the lack of pace and I wonder whether part of the the signings or the things we'll be looking for in the transfer market between, we, obviously it's a two full back wing back positions are going to need supplementing and then on top of that if they could bring in another player in an attacking area who's just quick like what more that would be the three signings I'd be looking for. If we are operating a one-in-one-out one one policy, which, again, seems to be the case, and I don't think any of us personally have a problem with it because the squad is big and we do have players out want more who will be on a tidy sum of money. So, you know, we don't have a massive amount of space to manoeuvre in. Then you're thinking about who would have to go out and make room for those players, and it would probably have to be another midfielder and then or anyone in the fringes of the squad who they could shift out and I mean I don't really know who that would be but if that doesn't happen as a roundabout way of saying I think what more will continue to be involved because he's getting paid money and he's the only player we've got with pace well unless you just have a real curveball and throw Kim Yocker in there but I think I think he's shown over pre-season that he's far from good enough and he definitely does need a loan spell at the lower level before we can even think about getting him involved other than check a trip well sorry not the check what's it called now this leasing.com trophy amazing so unless we give him a chance in the leasing.com <laughs> trophy against Leicester under 23s oh god what a time to be alive um, I don't think we're going to see much of him so moving on to Ipswich then so a lot of people have been making the comparison between Ipswich Town this season and Sunderland at the start of last season but I would argue that Ipswich have actually come into this season with a real lack of momentum despite the win on the opening day of the season against a decent side in Burton Albion because if you think it was depressing for us to spend 10 seasons in the Premier League they spent 17 consecutive seasons in the Championship and I think it was you sitting Matthew did they get to the playoffs once or something in that time I can, I can remember them getting to the playoffs once but I mean so if you think fighting relegation in the Premier League is depressing and beating Newcastle occasionally well they don't even beat their rivals at all ever so like Norwich beat them every time and they always finish mid-table in the championship so that must be pretty soul-destroying um, but not only that since they've got relegated obviously we've seen the comments that Paul Lambert was making a couple of weeks ago regarding the lack of movement in the transfer market and I've got down actually the players have signed over the summer and they've brought in three goalkeepers one of them's Thomas Hawley now I don't know about you lads and what you can remember of the games but I certainly recall him not having a very impressive evening um, the Priestfield Stadium or whatever it's called now when we beat them for one I think McCoy was at fault for a couple of the goals Hey I'm Ryan Reynolds at Mint Mobile we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does they charge you a lot 
we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yeah, that sounds about right. If it was him, I'll have to take your word for it that it was him. But yeah, um, he was pretty shocking like a lot of the keepers in League One, to be honest. Yeah, definitely. He's like six foot eight or nine or something ridiculous like that as well. But we but we scored from two corners at the stage in my light as well. Um, we played them, so I'm not saying that's necessarily the keeper's fault. But it does beg the question if he's like six foot nine, and you know what I'm saying. And um, we also signed um, Will Norris on loan. I don't know anything about him really, but that's another goalkeeper. Um, is that the one from Wolves who yes. got was substituted when we played them in the Stadium of Light? That's exactly who it is, yeah. Yeah, that time that we beat Wolves with um, Jason Steele in our goal and we had Mark Wilson as centre-half. Like, what a glorious day that was. Lovely old time. Um, and he also signed another goalkeeper. Um, he seems to be a young lad because he doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. <laughs> Why did they buy Where did he come from then? No, no idea. Oh, be- well, exactly because I couldn't click this Wikipedia page, you see. So... <laughs> Did they not have any goalkeepers? This is the thing, they've actually loaned the goalkeeper out as well. Well, he must be really good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then um, I had a look as well. They've signed someone called um, Luke Garbutt on loan from Everton. At least I've heard of him. But then again, he's 26 and he's played five times for Everton. I'd also heard of Brendan Galloway. <laughs> <laughs> Great him. Oh, just get the gang back together, shouldn't we? Big side back in his manager. Galloway back. I don't think Brendan Galloway should come back. Although he's playing championship football now, what an absolute treat. There's no justice in this world, like, is there? Um, and they also signed someone called James Wilson, who is a right back who got released by Lincoln City last season after an injury ravaged season. So the point I'm making is that we might think we've had an uninspiring summer. But I'm looking at that, and I would hate to have been an Ipswich fan coming in off the back of a relegation on that. I mean, I'd have to live at Ipswich as well, so that's depressing enough. But. Oh, Ipswich is not, it's not that bad. Ipswich. It's just because obviously it was being such a massive Alan Partridge fan, I've just naturally had this figure against Ipswich, you know. Um, anyway, but so the, the point I'm making is that they've had such a poor summer in terms of recruitment that I think we're in a little bit of danger of overestimating Ipswich to a certain extent. And I've seen people online predicting that they're surely going to beat us just based on the fact we had a poor performance and they won at the weekend. So, how do you guys see the game going this Saturday? I've got to be honest with you, like most teams in this division, I know absolutely nothing about the opposition, and I never do, because even after a season in it, we played Oxford on the weekend, and I only really knew who Jamie Mackey was. I thought their number 11 who scored was pretty talented, but I only knew who Mackey was, I didn't really know who anyone else was, and I find that that doesn't mean anything. I'm sure lots of people who aren't involved with Sunderland don't know who any of our players are, especially in the upper echelons of football, but... 
the one thing I would say about Ipswich and Lambert and maybe he's been sound enough but he is a manager who's gotten a young team out of this division before when he was at Norwich he's good at galvanising young players or has been in the past and he's been a been pretty uninspiring manager since his spell at Norwich where he went from being a pragmatist who played quite a lot of attacking football and obviously had the legend Grant Holt up front to being pretty uh, <laughs> he became um, like this ultra negative guy at, at Villa and you know it's kind of fell apart from him. but at League One level you'd think well he's got pedigree relative to a lot of managers in the division and I, I don't know how they're going to set up it's a good start against beating Burton but if you want to get promoted like we should be beating Oxford you've got to beat teams like Burton yeah I mean as well with um, Ipswich Gareth I think made a really good point in the group chat the other day that um, was it Paul Hurst who was their manager last season at the start of the season yeah so he took apparently a lot of players from um, Shrewsbury and there quite a few players from League One when he first went in there so Gareth's basic argument was that um, Ipswich might have gone backwards and lost the every week last season but these players are just returning to the level that they're comfortable at and if that's the case that might be a little bit worried for us because they might be a little bit more streetwise and they might know the division a lot more than some of our players well we've got a team full of players who've played at least one season in League One now Plus, I don't, but I think that people were talking about it last week about getting used to the division and stuff. I don't really understand. I, get, I don't buy that. Like, League One's a crap version of Championship football. It, you, it, it's not like the Premier League, which is a very different style of the Championship. Although the top end of the Championship is getting a lot better. Watching teams like Leeds on the weekend, you're like, wow, we're light years behind behind that. But like. You, you know we were losing games in the championship because teams were putting crosses into the box and we couldn't defend them we drew games all like the games we lost sometimes last season infrequently we only lost five was it five yeah. so um, but it was we, goals were often from set pieces and crosses so it wasn't that much of a difference really and all these players have had a season there and we've signed other players from League One so there's no excuses in that in that regard Ipswich their players might be more streetwise for having a season in the championship. Maybe, you know, playing against better players is going to up their levels. I don't know. It's, it's really hard to judge when a club is clearly in the financial situation they are, which is as restrictive, if not more restrictive. You want to talk about parameters? I mean, Lambert's are clearly very, very restrictive. At a club where the expectation won't be as high as Sunderland, but it'll be high. So, it, but it is hard to judge because coming bottom of the championship like we did we still were in the upper echelons of League One last season I would expect Ipswich to be yeah I would I think I think in terms of like how the game's going to I I actually although I've been particularly negative about last week's performance I, I think last season we were a lot better at times away from home um, whether that was due to some of the players struggling under the crowds I don't know but it, having said that it is pro- I don't know what Ipswich's sort of attendances are it's going to be a, but it, it's going to be one of the higher ones in the division isn't it obviously um, moving on from there then I would say that um, Ipswich for your similar to Sunderland in the sense that well, their home form was obviously wretched last season um, obviously not, I'm not comparing that to Sunderland's last season I'm comparing it to when we got relegated from the Championship our home form was wretched and theirs was last season so another kind of chink of light I can see is if we take the game to Ipswich early on 
on Saturday, which we actually did do away from home quite a lot early doors in games. If we can do that and get a goal up, their crowd obviously they're just conditioned to lose every week at home. And you know what it's like when you're dragging yourself along to the match week after week after week, defeat after defeat after defeat. It is soul destroying. If we can go there and get an early goal, and as I say, take the game two of them, I can see us getting a fair bit of joy actually. Yeah, I think that, that's a good point. And I think if we do that, if we do go there, attack, do get an early goal, don't sit back on it, which we've been very, like, very, very much tended to do last season. We started quite brightly against Oxford. I, I think, in the, I know we've, we've panned it, we've gone over and over and over the game. There was a, a move in the first half, McNulty shot. I think if that had gone in, it could have just been something we needed. And I think yeah. if we get something like that on Saturday, it could be just what we need to just everyone just take a, a deep breath and we're off we're off and running I'm going to disagree not just for the sake of being negative but I agree with you about the 20 minutes we did come out not just in away games we did it at home and it reminded me again of when Steve Bruce was manager ironically we used to have these 20 minute spells where we kind of huff and puff a bit different in league one would usually score although we went through a phase where we were conceding first really early but we did generally come out at teams and after after the opening sort of 10-15 games and really batter them for 20 minutes and we'd fizzle whether we scored or not and I don't think that was a net, net, necessarily a decision a conscious decision on the players behalf or the managers behalf to sit back I don't know what it is to be honest I don't know if it's because they're not working on what are they doing training I don't know I think this is this was talked about a bit Stephen and Gareth and, and uh, Tom were talking about on Monday about like the training and what are they doing on the training pitch? What kind of drills are they doing? We look like we've got a shape, but I, and one of the things I've been sort of talking about is what's the game plan in terms of trying to score goals? We saw flashes in the first 20 minutes, I'd agree, but after that, well, that was I don't a, know what it was. That was, that was our only, bar the penalty, I think our only shot on target, wasn't it? That McNulty shot. So There was uh, one really tame header as well, and that was it. Oh, I think it was Gregor McNulty... So my, my argument would be, yeah, it might be different at Ipswich because they might be a bit more fragile confidence-wise. But I, judging on the pattern I've seen, we do come out of teams for a little while and we do look really good and then we'll give teams a chance and, and I think that'll happen again on, on Saturday. I think it's riding that out and being robust defensively, which is why we've brought in people like Willis and McLaughlin in the defence. They need to be better than they were on Saturday they need to be better organised and they need to be better with the ball at their feet as well we need to keep the ball and not give it away in stupid areas yeah we had a lot of possession on Saturday but how many times were people just giving it away in ridiculous parts of the pitch yeah and like I said it was the fact that it was um, players like John Willis who came with a reputation of being so comfortable on the ball he was giving the ball away quite a lot so that would suggest that the movement within the team wasn't quite up to scratch either um, but just to kind of um, round things up a little bit um, we've had a few questions in from um, our listeners so we had one from Billy Blythe who asked what is an acceptable points return after the first three games so bearing in mind obviously we've got a point on the board so far after the um, Portsmouth game what would you be satisfied with? Minimum of um, five points, but I, I want us to win the league and get out of the division. And you know, the owners have kind of set the mark of like an 100 points total. And, and at the Q and A with Stuart Donald, that Gareth and I were doing, when we asked him about that, Kevin Ball actually said, "Yeah, 100 points should be the target because not that you're necessarily saying we're going to get 100 points, but aim high." And then that means that if you drop eight points, you've done enough to get promoted as probably as champions. And actually agree with Borley on that. 
and by the same token my expectation is we win both of these games I don't care for tips which in Portsmouth even allowing for all I've just said in being somewhat negative I still expect this team this squad this club to win this league with a high points total and I expect them to do it by beating teams who will be at the top of the table which as I've said Ipswich will be one of them and whatever you think about Kenny Jacket, you'll have Portsmouth there or thereabouts he'll be in the top four I would I would know how much Matthew loves Kenny Jacket by the way. Yeah, I branded him a waste of time at the end of last season. So. I would have said I would have said I would say seven points, but I would have said that thinking we would have beat Oxford and dropped points at maybe one of the other two. So I'm thinking they now they put pressure on themselves now that they to meet that kind of expectation that I would imagine most fans would have had at the beginning of the season to meet that they now have to do do it against the two other teams yeah. so and I, I think I would have I would have said that we would have won our two home games and, and drawn at Ipswich and now for an acceptable return we're going to have to beat Ipswich for me so our last one here from Alice Campbell so we talked about um, Will Grigger um, earlier rather but he asked a bit of a wider question of how do we solve a problem with our strikers in general do we blame the manager the setup, or do we blame the players because I can see his point there because actually I look at the strikers and I don't know enough about McNulty at this stage to make a really informed judgment but it's blatant that whatever is the issue with Will Grigg that just hasn't worked since he came to the club but Charlie White he doesn't really suit how we play because he's quite immobile he doesn't make um, really clever creative runs so I can understand he's got like half decent hold up play but I don't really see what he offers as a team in terms of um, the way that we try and play so so how would you try and solve that problem and what do you think the actual root of the problem is actually ironically White probably would have had a f- <laughs> but there's a first time we've probably played in a way that he would have enjoyed on Saturday because we'll put about 3,000 crosses in like what was it 35 I mean a lot of them were not great but like we were talking about that team header on target I'm not saying White's great in the X, I'm actually sure what his best attribute is. Um, as people don't know, I'm not a huge fan of his anyway. But he looks like someone who could potentially compete in the air. But we've never really played like crossed balls into the box like that until Saturday when he's not fit and he's not in the squad. Instead, two diminutive strikers are in the box who've never looked like they would feed on that kind of ball. Now, McNulty, who I think some of his movement was bright and stuff, he got a bit overexcited and some of his final balls weren't great at least he was lively but he, him and Greg need to link up more if it's going to work in terms of blame I'm not one for really wanting to attribute blame to anyone but with the team and the manager and the coaches need to work together to get the best out of Greg he's the marquee signing aside from McGeady he's now the big name at the club so they've got to work on that question that kind of crossed my mind a little bit on Saturday now I know that you should have a set penalty taker at any club um, and I was pleased to see Gooch step up actually because I've never seen him take a bad penalty for Sunderland yet however given that Will Grigg is so short on confidence would you have given it to him perhaps to try and get them off the mark as early as possible I did say that at the time why isn't Grigg take maybe he didn't want to take it which if if, if that was the case then but I, th- I thought he would have been as a striker first game of the season desperately needs a goal he, if that was me I'd have been like grabbing the ball off him to take the penalty which he did against um, was it Gillingham to be fair McGeady gave him the ball it wasn't as if he was like fighting but, I, but I, he'd had a difficult start though and it was a similar scenario, yeah. similar scenario that he needs a goal desperately this, this we wouldn't have created another chance in that game what if he'd missed it? I, I don't... The thing... Also, don't you? Well, maybe he did. But you know what Gucci is like. He doesn't like passing the ball. 
probably had a hold of it and he was like no this is mine and to be fair he was our best player on Saturday in my opinion I know some people said Dylan McGeek who I did think played well the worrying thing for me is the reason that this isn't a slight on McGeek by any stretch of the imagination but the reason he played so well was because he was having to do so much work winning the ball back and that's in dangerous areas and for covering for Denver Hume he was getting a lot on that left side now that can't be the case every home game I'd expect him to have another good game on Saturday at Ipswich probably that's fine I'm not, that's what we need him for but no for me the Greg thing Maybe, uh, it, it, what, it, 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 yes his confidence is down but did that penalty against Gillingham help him? Maybe, maybe he did ask to take it, but Gooch didn't get his head up and couldn't see him. <laughs> I'm not having Gooch knocked because he's the only good player we've got. I'm joking, but he was our he was our best player. He, I thought he played really well. It was certainly um, one of his best performances in a long time from Gooch, and I do hope that he continues to because he does come across as a really genuine guy who loves a football club. So it'd be great to see him succeed and recapture the form he had at the start of last season. Um, just before we wrap it up, though, we'll just um, go around. We'll get some score predictions. So. I'll start it off. I think we're going to, despite that I've been fairly negative by my standards recently, but I think we're going to go then win 2-0 because I think we're going to get an early goal and then for once we're going to build on that and we're going to get a second and Greg's going to get off the mark and everything's going to be looking rosy and we're going to win the league with a 1,000 points, never mind 100. Um, Matthew, what do you think? I think what we need to do is to go 4-2 down because we really had them on the ropes the last time we went 4-2 down at Ipswich. I think, I think, we'll, I think we'll win 2-1. 2-1? A Greg penalty for me. Great, Craig. It's got to be one-one, hasn't it? Really. Yeah. I mean, I'm not. That isn't me being no, negative. No. I just genuinely think, unless we address issues from Saturday against what was an inferior side to Ipswich, I would. I think you know we might struggle to create the chances to score more than one goal. And again, if we don't sort the deficiencies out in defence, of which there were many on Saturday, we gave Oxford their goal. Don't forget. Basically, we handed it on a plate to them. Yeah. Another one of them, Ipswich probably score. So. One one for me. So, yeah, I think that just about um, wraps everything up for this evening. So, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back on Monday to discuss our resounding win over Ipswich and our return to form, and everything will be great. But thanks so much for listening.